As a business and leadership mentor, wife, and mom, I know that building a legacy business as a high-performing female entrepreneur can be overwhelming when you play many demanding roles in your life. But you know what? It doesn't have to be that way. You can be a powerful, high performer in your career, plus enjoy a fulfilling marriage and be a great mom all at the same time. Join me and my guests every week to get the inside scoop on what it really looks like to build a high growth business while living a life truly aligned with your family and personal values. Hey, Verity, what's up? So happy to have you on the show today. I am so excited to be here. Thank you so much for having me. Awesome. Well, since, well, we, you and I met a few months ago, I don't remember how we ended up connecting, but we certainly hit it off being former teachers and both having a background in education and going in fairly similar directions. I know that you have really gone in the direction of helping people create courses and teach their courses at a really high level to their clients. I went the route of group coaching, um, but we have so much to talk about in that category, with especially with our background. So let's start here. How about you uh, tell us a little bit about your background and what got you into starting your business and then fill in some of the blanks on what you do now inside of your business. And then we're going to dive in and have a really juicy conversation around reinvention and trends in the educational course category. Uh, So go ahead and take it away with your story. Yeah. So um, like I said, thanks so much for having me, Megan. I'm really excited to be on the the podcast today. So I'm Verity. I'm from a tiny little island called Jersey, which is in between England and France. Nobody has ever heard of us, but I promise you, if you Google map it, we are there. So my story started out, my background, I'm actually a nurse before I was anything else. So I went to uni after school. I got my bachelor's degree in nursing, went to work in emergency assessment, absolutely loved it. But then after the birth of my first daughter, I carried on ward work for about 15 months before I was like, the shift work just wasn't working for me. And I've got so much admiration for anyone who can make family life work around any kind of shift career because it was not working for us as a family. But at about the same time, a job came up in the education department in the hospital. So I jumped ship sort of thing, moved down to the ed center. I was teaching higher education um, on a higher education program for the nursing degree students. I was teaching clinical skills to healthcare professionals as well, which was a fantastic role. Absolutely amazing. Did that for a few years, got my education qualifications for higher ed. And then I moved across into the private healthcare market. I did compliance management for a year, looking at policy development, which is not as boring as I thought it was, as it sounds. It was actually really, really interesting. And I would say that it was almost like a 12-month prep course for running your own business, because my God, you end up learning so many ins and outs of a business you didn't even know existed. So did that for 12 months. And then there, within that company, the head of education and training job came up. So I moved across to there, ended up teaching further education. So I was teaching diplomas to healthcare students, um, again, some non-qualified healthcare, um, healthcare workers. And yeah, it was, it was a brilliant job. Did that for a couple of years. COVID hit, which is how the whole online 
training and online um, education thing came in because with COVID, all of a sudden we couldn't teach our online diplomas. I was also heading up the department for teaching all of the mandatory training or, you know, health and safety, fire safety or, you know, the stuff that you have to have in work, which isn't too exciting. But it meant that I then went on this crazy accelerated journey of taking their entire training and education prospectus and putting it online. And within the space of about a year, we created nearly 50 online courses. It was insane. Looking back on it, I'm not sure if I slept that much during that year. It was crazy, crazy. But it was it was a great way for me to find a different passion for education and training. And so I carried on doing that for a couple of years. And then my second daughter was born at the end of 2021. Yes, we're in 2022 now. Sorry, it's been a long day. So yeah, she was born at the end of 2021. And in my maternity leave, I just suddenly had a bit of a light bulb moment. I found that I was talking to more and more people who were saying, you know, how do I make an online course? How do I put my staff training online? How do I take my whatever I teach as a blogger and put that on online. And I was just finding I was having more and more conversations with people. And I thought, why don't I turn this into a business? Why don't I actually, I actually do this? And that is what I did. So from January of this year, my daughter was what, two and a half months old, which seems like a crazy project to embark with a 10 week old. But I, I started my business and I now work with mainly bloggers and solopreneurs, but I'm open to working with anybody. I've also got a couple of contracts working with corporate clients as well, but I help people put their training online. And the bit which I love the most is not so much the tech side, but really helping people learn how to teach. Because what I find with a lot of people is people come to me saying, I've got my teachable subscription or Udemy, you know, whichever subscription it is that they've got. And they're like, you know, I've created this course, but nobody's engaging with it. Or I just don't know where to start or my copy isn't making sense. And I find that a lot of the issues come back to the same core points of, well, who is your student? Have you got any teaching theory behind what you're doing? Have you got a curriculum? Have you got learning outcomes? And the majority of the time people are like, no, I don't. I just kind of brain dumped everything that I knew about this subject in a course. I'm like, well, that's why nobody's engaging with it because nobody knows who it's who it's aimed at. Nobody knows who your ideal student is. No one knows the journey of what they're going to learn at the at the end. So that's where that's where I come in and it's been a crazy roller coaster ride of the last 8 months, but I'm loving it so far. Yeah, we uh we have so many overlaps with our background. Uh, when I was a public school teacher face to face, I took on a second teaching job. I mean, it was like I it was like having two full-time jobs. And it was teaching high school classes online, Wow! but we had to take the courses we were teaching in the face-to-face classroom, and we had to turn them into courses that could be taught in the virtual classroom, which is very different than how you structure things and run things and teach them online. But when you said the number 50, I think I only put two classes online where I was the one that was the lead and creating them online. Um, and I worked all the time. I can't imagine you doing 50. That must've been crazy. It was insane. It was insane. But do you know what? I think it taught me. It was like the craziest internship. That's the only thing that I can think to compare it to. Yeah. But it taught me so much about online 
courses and because like you said and I think this is the thing that gets disappreciated so much is that standing up and talking to a class of 20 30 50 people however many are in your class is so different to how people engage online I don't know about you but I've never touch wood in a on in a classroom setting had someone just stand up and walk out of the classroom but online anyone can go and hit the x in the corner of the screen and just disappear so it's so so different and as I said I think that's the thing that gets disappreciated so often is how teaching theory has to be amended and adapted to work in the online world yeah you actually bring up a good point now granted I was in public education you know well when you were teaching face-to-face were those students I know they were adults were they Mm -hmm. required to show up to the class like to the classes physically um, it, it depends on the classes. So for the diploma and the degree students, yes, they had to be there. And then yeah. for some of the mandatory training, yes. But then I did a lot of optional training courses as well, which um, sometimes people did on work time. Sometimes people did on their own time. So particularly if it was on the own, their own time, the motivation was a little bit different. So you're bringing up a really good point. I mean, for both of us, to an extent, those students were required to show up in the classroom. So you know, you do really, all of us are products. Obviously we all grew up more than likely going to a school building, physically showing up in elementary school, high school, college, uh, uh, middle school. Like we all did it in person. I I actually did get my master's degree online and that was in the mid two thousands, like 2005, 2006. And the online learning was just, just starting to show up in the university category. And, you know, the point you're bringing up is we had to show up to that classroom. You also had to engage. You had to participate. When I was working with students in the face-to-face classroom, nobody got to be silent the entire time. If we were doing group work, you had to be part of the group. You had to do your assignments. You had to turn them in. Like You had to do all the work to pass the class. And when we are selling courses and selling group coaching programs, regardless of how much money is actually someone spending on those programs, the amount of money does not equate to making someone show up, engage, do the work, go through the modules, ask questions and all the things. And there's a statement that I see with a lot of service providers, leading groups and courses, and it's uh, just show up and do the work. If you don't show up and do the work, but you have to show up and do the work and that there's a lot of truth to that. Of course, you have to show up and do the work. And it's also the provider's job, the leader's job to make sure they are facilitating and structuring an atmosphere and environment and a program where people are showing up and they are engaging. I would love to hear from your perspective. I mean, is there anything that you do in your programs where you've sort of figured out this way to increase engagement levels of the material, get people to stay on? Are you noticing, is there something that you are teaching your clients um, or is it just just a completely different experience how people behave in the online setting? Have you like cracked the code on that? I don't think anyone's cracked the code on it, I have to say. And I will also no. say, I think that's really interesting. You said you did your master's online. I also did my master's online. So there's another overlap. Um, I think the thing that I always say to people and bring it back to is it has to suit your audience and it has to suit your course and it has to suit you as a teacher as well. I think there's a huge default 
particularly at the moment, and there's nothing wrong with this, but I think there's a huge default to people having a Facebook group. And I've got no problem with Facebook groups. I'm in, I don't know how many, my, my, you go on my Facebook and like my feed is just full of like, you know, Facebook groups and they are brilliant. It brings so much value, but it's sometimes helping, like having those conversations with people that saying, you know, is your Facebook group right for your client? So what I mean by that is I've got friends, for example, who aren't in Facebook groups, but they're in Discord groups because Discord suits their community better. So actually, if they're in all of these Discord groups, to go and have a Facebook group wouldn't really sit. You know, there's people, you know, who use Circle, Mighty Networks, you know, there's so many different ones. But it's it's kind of thinking if you're going to have a community around a, a group like that, it's, is that sitting with your audience? Is that where your audience are? Is that where they're naturally showing up? So I know, for example, you've got a Facebook group because I'm part of it. Um, and that works for you because that is where your audience naturally are. So it makes sense to have a Facebook group. But if you're somebody who's got a course whose audience is not sitting primarily on Facebook, does it make sense to go and set up a Facebook group? Absolutely. Absolutely not. And also, once you've got that Facebook group or Discord group, whatever it is that you're using, are you engaging with that? Are you just throwing up some random posts but that doesn't really add value because it's all, and I know the word value gets bandied around so, so much, but it has to add value. It has to draw people in. There has to be something where people are thinking, yes, I'm getting something from this. Otherwise you're just not going to engage at all. So is there a group? Yes. And that's sometimes going to work really, really well with people, but making sure that that's the right kind of engagement. Equally, one of the things which I've used in courses before is having a community tab and having, you know, those chat boxes. So in a couple of courses that I've done before, you know, there's been like a load of information and particularly if it's been quite heavy information. So I'm thinking more my diploma students that I've worked with in the past, you know, and I've said throughout the throughout the lesson, what do you think about this particular point? Write something in the chat and then we can get a little bit of something going. And what was quite good is because we ran those diplomas in cohort bases. So then people could see what kind of things the previous cohorts were were adding in. And that in itself could get a bit of a conversation going. So I liked that. Um, I like that element of it. But again, having a chat function in a course is not going to work for every single course because you also then need to think about well who's moderate I can't talk who's moderating it um you know aspects like that you've got to have community rules around around that so it's one of those where the engagement is really important but it's making sure that it suits the audience and it fits with the audience as well because at the end of the day as I said you know we know that motivation can be so can be so challenging and it's also, do your students want to be motivated in that way? Some students want to go in, they just want to get the course over with, which is no disrespect to you as a course creator. It's no disrespect to them as a student. But some students have got a means to an end. They know that they just need to get through the course, either because they've been told that they have to do it, maybe by their boss or employer, or they know that actually they want to do something three steps on, but they need this foundation first. Mm -hmm. So for some people, actually, the more things you can put in 
their way they don't see as motivational factors they see as obstacles they see as i don't want to engage in this in this mm-hmm. chat forum i don't want to go on the facebook group or the circle group or whatever it is mm-hmm. so it's about thinking what's relevant for my audience and my course and also like i said what's relevant for you as the person teaching it because if you don't so i i hate facebook in terms of i don't like running a facebook group i love going on facebook and learning from everybody else But for me, for my personal courses, it makes no sense for me to run a Facebook group because I'm no good at it. I will happily admit that I'm no good at it. And I don't, it's not something I enjoy. So therefore, as a teacher for me to have a Facebook group attached to my course probably isn't the best idea because I just don't enjoy it. So therefore, I'm not going to motivate my students if I'm not enjoying doing something myself yeah. so you've got to also think about what do you like as a teacher because that is going to impact on the motivation that you kind of send across as well yeah i love what you were talking about how not every client or student that goes to your course or program has the exact same motive and also i mean we know this from working with a lot of students at at you know the collegiate and the high school level Everybody has a different personality. Everybody has a different energy. They process information in a different way. There's so many variables that go into how each one of us individually carries ourselves and operates and communicates. And, you know, it is very easy for any of us as providers to take it personally when a student stops showing up to the calls or, like you said, they leave halfway through. I mean, I think for most of us, if we're really paying attention to that, the first thing we think is, oh, they didn't like what I had to say today. So, you know, I think it's really important that we're getting to know our students on a much deeper level. And just for the sake of really defining when we're using the words, because we're kind of using words interchangeably here of courses, programs, group programs, I want to hear like your definition of. So, when we are saying the word course, is that complete self study where there's like no interaction live? between the teacher and the students, or can a course be taught live and there is interaction? Because I think the way that you, again, like interact with your students during the classes and in between the classes would change depending on the modality in which it's taught. So how do you, how do you, when you say the word course, is it self-study? Is it taught live? Like how do you roll with courses? I think that's a really, really interesting question. My personal interpretation of a course is that it can be self-study. It can have an element of interaction, but I would say that it is relatively short in its time, not just its timestamp, but it's got an incredibly clear definition at the end. So for example, if you're doing a, um, I'm trying to think of an example, if you're doing a course to teach you about SEO, for example, to me, a course that would teach you SEO is something that I can go into. It will take me maybe 10 hours, three hours, whatever it is to complete. There might be some interaction with a tutor, but not necessarily. Whereas I would say a program is going to be potentially more of a sustained period of time, probably at least six weeks. And I think that's where you're seeing the difference already is that a course I would say can probably you can probably complete in hours, whereas a program, you're probably looking more at weeks as opposed to hours. And I would say a program, I would definitely expect to see tutor inputs of some degree 
or another. Yeah. And I think that's because to me, programs, I tend to compare much more to the degrees, the diplomas, the qualifications that I've worked on before. And I get that as course creators, we're not all creating a qualification. In fact, the majority of people aren't creating a qualification. But because of that, I would say that the program has got a more extended run of time and has got more of that interaction. Whereas, as I said, a course may have an interaction, but not necessarily. And it's going to be probably much shorter and much more defined. And what I mean by that is a program, people can commonly take the elements of a program and because there's more interaction, start taking it in different ways because then could be like that coaching or the mentoring, which is attached to it. So then they can start driving the information that they're being given in a way which is much more suited to their business. Whereas a course, I would say, is more cut and dried in terms of this is the information and this is how you're going to implement it in this particular way. I don't know. Does that measure up with your own? Because we do all use these words interchangeably. So I'd be interested to hear your own perspective on that. Yeah. When I hear course, I always think of something that is potentially completely self-study where I do not get any, obviously I'm not getting any customized support from the the leader uh, and maybe not even personalized support. So when I say personalized, I'm talking about a Q and a call where everybody comes, everybody's you know, all the students are on the call. We can all ask questions and the leader can answer those questions. That's my definition of personalized. So most courses um, are either self-study or they're taught live, but it's largely you show up, you sit and listen, I teach you. And then there might be some Q&A at the end. And then to your point, a program is much more involved. There's a lot more personalization. It's longer. Um, I think what you're teaching people is more robust you're really trying to help somebody transform their life or their business or their relationship. So I would, I would totally agree with that for sure. Um, you know, it's interesting. I'm think back to when I was a teacher teaching online and I would have up to 90 students, uh, at a, a semester at a time. And we had a rule as teachers that if we had a student who had a grade level of C for a period of two weeks, then our next action step was to pick up the phone and call them and find out what was going on. Mm-hmm. And I think that's such a really good tip to give here, especially if you're working with people in a live setting. So whether it's a live course or a live program, it doesn't really matter how long it is, but you know, come up with your own set of rules. If you have a student who doesn't show up for two classes in a row, pick up the phone and call them. Or now maybe it's not the phone, maybe it's send them a voicemail through Facebook Messenger or wherever you have access to um, their information. Um, That's something that I've experienced being in programs sometimes if I don't show up for a while or if I haven't interacted with the main coach and just the team for a while, I'll get a voicemail saying, hey, I just wanted to check in. How's your business going? How are you doing? What's up? Do you have any feedback for us? Can I support you in any way? And so if you have students who, what I call drifters, and you kind of don't know what's going on with them, reach out. Because again, oftentimes we're either taking it personally or you're losing, if you don't keep up with that engagement with them and give that personal touch, what we're doing is the running, we're running the risk of that person never doing business with us again. And so if we're also thinking about client retention, 
just that little, the little bits and pieces of personal touch, especially if you notice someone not showing up, you could actually help them get better results because they may not be getting results at all. You could help retain them, renew them, work with you in some other way. And it's so much more expensive to acquire the client than it is to keep. So that was just such a valuable lesson I learned being a teacher in the online setting was reach out and connect with people. 100%. I think there's something really, really important to the point that you were making there is because in my personal experience, whenever people have not turned up to a session, whatever, you know, an online course, an online class, sorry, a coaching session, whatever it is, I would, I can honestly say hand on heart, it has never been because the student didn't want to be there. There has always been something. And I think it's like you said, you know, we're all, we're adults at the end of the day. We've got businesses, we've got children, we've got these whole worlds that everything gets, you know, I don't want to use the, the phrase gets in the way, but you know, stuff, stuff gets in the way. And I think you're so right. It's so easy to be like, oh no, Sarah didn't turn up to my course or well, my class. Sorry, I can use the word course there. Uh, Sarah didn't turn up to my class yet again. Well, actually, let's have a chat with Sarah because for all we know, two weeks ago, her grandma was sick. And then last week, the baby was sick. And then this week, she's got COVID. I don't know. That's a bad run for Sarah. But you get my point. Some people do just have bad, you know, th- th- things happen. And you can never plan it. So on face value, it looks like Sarah isn't enjoying the course and isn't turning up for three weeks on the trot when actually she's got really valid reasons. And actually what Sarah needs is rather than you ignoring her is like you said, a check-in message. Hey, how are things going? Do you want to continue with the course at the moment? Or actually, do you want to put a pause on it and we'll get you on the next course? Or do you want a one-to-one and I can catch you up with where we're at, you know, not every solution is going to work for every program and every business, but it's sometimes thinking outside the box a little bit because, you know, Sarah is probably going to be sat at home. You know, let's imagine that she could have spent a couple of hundred dollars on your program. It could have been a couple of thousand dollars. What it, it, In some ways it's irrelevant, but she could be sat at home panicking, thinking, oh my gosh, I've put that money in. I'm getting no return from this, or I'm looking at the resources put online, but I'm not getting the personal aspect or the you know the personalized aspect of the course and you don't realize sometimes how valuable it feels as you said for somebody to reach out and just in a completely non-berating way hey I'm not I'm not checking it up on you I'm checking in with you because they're two completely different things I'm not checking up I'm checking in I just want to check you're okay have you got any questions you don't have to tell me what's going on in your personal life but if you've got stuff going on you can let me know however much you're comfortable with letting me know and let's work around this do you want to put a pause as I said do you want to have a one-to-one it could be that the baby's teething and isn't sleeping and actually your 9 a.m session is just not working because that's when she is going back to bed I don't yeah I've completely created this Sarah persona here but you know but it's true It is. And actually, you know, maybe shifting and giving her a one-to-one call at 1 p.m. when she's awake and she's had time to have a shower, she will re-engage with the with the program. I'm investing in Sarah here. I feel way too much. But the point that I'm making is that, you know, we need we need to. Sarah is in every program though. Sarah's Mm -hmm. in every program. And, you know, going back to leaders do tend to take things personally, and we are really good at creating all the reasons why and stories why someone isn't showing up. But 
here's a, we'll use Sarah as an example here, regardless of why Sarah isn't showing up, the baby got sick, grandma died. What Sarah starts to realize after a couple of weeks, and this happens, you know, it can happen pretty fast. She starts realizing that program I purchased, I'm not using. And the minute that your student recognizes I'm not using the program, their next belief is that, well, the program isn't valuable, which is what you just said. It's like, well, Sarah thinks she's not getting any value from the program. Well, Sarah also will not see the program as valuable because she's not consuming any of it at all. And the minute that your client, whether it's a course or it's a group coaching program, the minute that your client has decided the program's not valuable, but it comes from because they're not consuming anything, you've pretty much just lost the client. I mean, again, if we're if we're gonna sort of toot the horn of like client retention and keeping people and reselling them or or going on a longer journey with them and other other services that you can provide, it is, you know, it should be part of your plan as a course creator and a course provider. Part of your plan in delivery and part of your time spent at least for, you know, a couple of hours every week is, hey, let's check up. Do I have a list of students that haven't shown up in two weeks? I'm going to pick up the phone and I'm going to dial them today and see what's going on because you can bring them back. You can bring them back and really help them get great results. I love that you brought that up. I think it's so important. And I think, like you said, it's so easy to take things personally, but sometimes it's it's about that big picture thinking and remembering that everybody's got something going on and it's all relative to them as well. Yeah. So what might not be huge in your life could be huge and really, really rocking their world and, you know, preventing them from, from showing up. And I think, yeah. like I, I think that's just really, really important to, to remember is not to trivialize whatever is preventing somebody from, yeah. you know, showing up as well. Yeah. So I know that you and I both, you know, work with a lot of clients and no matter where someone is at in their journey, in terms of how long they've been in business, it seems like no matter what this conversation around ideal client keeps coming up. Um, I'll tell you a funny story. When I remember when I was working for the large coaching company that I worked for, it was over the course of four years and it was a business coaching program. We would have about 250 to 300 students in all of our year long programs. And some people would get really, really clear on ideal client and some people never would. And I remember the ones who like got it really early and they were kind of like the star students of the program. They would always start complaining at a certain point in the year long program. Why are we still talking about auto client? Why are people still asking this question around idle client? And it's a conversation that a lot of folks who are much, much further along in business make a lot of money. They can sometimes get to a point where it's like, I don't, I don't want to hear that conversation anymore. But I'll tell you, I work with some people who have seven figure businesses and they are still tweaking elements of their ideal client because they're noticing when they run people through the program, some of their problems that, that they're seeing inside of their business and their program is because they've allowed people into the program who are not really a qualified fit to be in the program. And that ideal client really does dictate a lot of the decision-making when you're creating the program, designing the curriculum, filling your program, how are you formatting and delivering it? And I know that this is a topic you work with your clients on a lot. So 
What's been coming up with your students lately around this conversation around ideal client? I would say the biggest thing that we end up talking about is who is your student? Who is the student that you are attracting and who that you want to attract? You know, what is your course going to serve to the student that you're looking that you're looking for? I did a coaching call not too long ago and this oh god she was absolutely amazing she was like an ideal student in terms of she came with her you know she'd written out this curriculum she'd written like you know her notebook was just full there was so much stuff for us to go through it was incredible and then and we were we were chatting and we were in the in the early stages of the call of still brainstorming ideas and what have you and then I said to her I said what who is your who is your student and she goes well people who want to learn insert topic here I said, no, who is your student? Because I could want to learn about that, but I know nothing about that topic. You've just piqued my interest because I know nothing about that topic. But if you were coming into the course, you're an expert in comparison to me. So you've, you're going to be teaching or needing to be taught that course in a completely different way. So I was like, who is your student? You need to get really clear on which part of the learning journey that individual is on and she kind of she was like oh I never thought of it like that I said right we need to start peeling this 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 back it's brilliant that you've come with this curriculum with all these lesson plans and what have you but we need to peel this back and we almost need to sort these into piles as to what does a beginner need to know what does the novice need to know what does the expert need to know because you're trying to cover way too much in this one in this one course in fact you've probably got about four courses worth of stuff here which is great because you know you think from a revenue and pot- potential stream there amazing but we need to start at the at the beginning because you're not going to upsell to the beginner until they've got that foundation and they realize that they want and need more information to keep on going with that learning journey and i would say that is the biggest thing that i end up talking to people about is who is the person that you are wanting to attract and where are they on their learning journey? You know, I always use the example of knitting. I know nothing about knitting, something which I'm sure my grandma is incredibly ashamed of because she has tried to teach me many, many times. But that aside, if you were trying to teach me how to knit, if I'm going to an online course called How to Knit, you need to take it right back to the start for me. You can't give me a pattern and say, right, this is the type of stitch that we need to use. You need to actually be telling me what kind of needles do I need? Where am I even going to buy these? Because otherwise I'm the person that will just go to Google and type in buy knitting needles, buy the first thing that comes up, only to find that it's for the wrong type of wool or you get my point. I really know nothing about knitting. The point that I'm making is though, is that you can't just throw me into a beginning to knit. It needs to be really, what is the basics? So you need to be thinking, what is it? Like I said, where is it on your learning journey that that student, that that student is on? Because how you're going to pitch that information is so different depending on where your student is at. And what I always say to people as well is, in some ways, regardless of where your student is at, always make sure at the beginning of your course, your program, whatever it is, lay some sort of foundation just so that you know that everybody who has come into that course or program 
has got the same starting knowledge. So whereas we were talking before about what's your definition of this and what's your definition of that, just making sure at the beginning of the course or the program that everybody is singing from the same hymn sheet when it comes to definitions. It's not reteaching people what they already know, but it's making sure that everybody's got that even even keel and kind of in the in the industry, quote unquote, we would call that scaffolding. You lay your foundations, you build your scaffold up from that. Some people don't like using imagery and that's fine. But the point is, is it's making sure that you know who you're teaching, where they are on their learning journey, and that everybody's got that core starting point. And it's sometimes it's about talking to the students as well, because some students think I don't need that information. I read this amazing thing on Wikipedia. I watched this thing on Netflix and I'm an expert on it now. I'm going to jump in a few kind of, you know, courses onto, I don't know, further along and what have you. And you're like, no, let's have that conversation. Let's make sure that it's really obvious on the landing page who this course is for or, you know, in our copy, in our marketing, make it obvious who we're attracting. You know, one of the things that I say on my copy is that I primarily work with bloggers and solopreneurs who have never made online courses before. Your copy, you're very, very specific. You need to be, you know, the six, seven figure earners to come onto your programs. We make it clear so that we know who we're targeting and people know who they are and that they sit right with our with our programs. But as I said, I I see that a lot. People will say, hey, I'm doing a knitting course. Are you going to throw a pattern at me? In which case I'm the the wrong person for that course, you know. Yeah, you really have to do your due diligence and think through. You know, there's, there's a lot that goes into the creative process. I was just going through this process the week before last. So about a it's been about a week and a half. It's almost two weeks. And um, I'm developing a new group coaching program with a partner. And we got together in person for two full days. Day one was, well, day two was easy. It was all the marketing. But day one, that was figuring out what's our, what are we promising? What's the results here? Who's the ideal client? What's the curriculum of the program? You know, what are, how are we delivering the program? Crunching all the numbers, organizational chart, all that jazz. And so when we got to the we had already talked about our program promise. We had talked about our ideal client and it, we, we came up with a real human being who is a real human being. She actually was one of my former clients. Um, and we'll call her Julie. And, uh, we like wrote about Julie and we literally designed the next phase was the curriculum. And we literally designed the program for Julie. But this is so interesting because even in that conversation, I think how we started out the curriculum, we just did a brainstorm and we just wrote one topic per post-it note. What do we think would be in this program? And we just slapped them up. Like we slapped all the post-it notes up and then we started rearranging them in a particular order. So we organized them, we prioritized them, ordered them. Then we went back through again. And I noticed myself like, so this is so interesting. I noticed myself even asking my partner, well, well, don't you think like, do you think we could let people in the program who are transitioning from one-on-one to group? Because our ideal client, Julie, already has a group and she's had a group for a couple of years. She just hasn't gotten her group to the level that she wants it to to be at. And then we were just sort of chat. It's so much easier. It's why you hire somebody, right? To work with you on it. Because then we were able to just volley back and forth and ask each other questions. And we were like, yeah, we could help them in this program, but 
what you would do someone who's just transitioning from one-on-one to group is very different than what you would do with someone who had had a group for two or three years that just hadn't gotten to $30,000 a month yet. And then there's another level after that. And then there's another level after that. So we got really clear on, we have the ability to actually create four different programs, serve four different audiences, but we're going to start with one. We're only going to start with one. And then we ended up, after we rearranged all our post-it notes, then we had to go back through and really have a conversation about, is this too advanced? Is this too advanced? And it needs to go into a higher level program sometime in the future. And so we were just moving our post-its. That whole process, we probably spent 90 minutes to two hours. And that's with two people, like just really with our hands in there, kind of really having that conversation. Also being very clear on who our ideal client is, you still have this tendency to A, want to give everybody everything you know, and B, say, yeah, but I could serve this person. Yeah, but I could serve this person. Well, yeah, you could, but that actually creates a lot of problems inside of courses and programs when you're letting too many people into the program who have varying degrees of skill and knowledge and ability. Yeah, 100%. And I think one of the things that I've seen as well is it can end up, I know this almost seems a bit, technical but it can end up diluting the cost that you've even got in from that person because what I've seen as well before is somebody will pay however much it is to come into a program or a course but because they're not the qualified student or the qualified client to go into that course the course leader runs the risk of I don't want to say wasted but spending spending rather than wasting but spending so much time either with one-to-ones or replying to emails or, you know, having their VA in the Facebook group responding to queries and what have you, that actually from a profit point of view, you're like, how much has that time eaten into whatever profit you were getting out of that course? And I think that is something that people don't always look at. It's, oh, but I'm helping them. I'm doing my job. It's like, yes, you are. But and, that, and that's a great thing. And that's an admirable thing. And as teachers, like you said, we want to give, we want to be helping. But there's also the element of it that at the end of the day, we're running businesses. So it comes back to that working on versus in the business. And sometimes having that hat on your head to think, actually, we've kind of got to a point where I'm not making any money on this particular student. And you run the risk sometimes. And I have honestly seen this happen where people, if you look at it individually, People actually lose money on a student because they need so much input. And you're like, and to your point, actually, when you start breaking it down and working backwards, it's that question of was that student the right student for that program or that course? Or actually, should they have been on a different program or a different course? And don't get me wrong, I do I do understand that it's difficult sometimes, even though it doesn't matter how much your course or program is we run businesses at the end of the day. We want bums on seats. We want those numbers in our bank account. I completely understand that mentality. However, you've also got to look at it from the other point of view that, as I said, if it starts eating into the cost that it actually was that that student paid in the first place, you're not, you know, you're not making the money. It's it's eating into your profits another way. You've got to start asking yourself, hmm, where do I need to draw the line? Where do I need to start thinking about, right, where did this problem even happen that this person came into the course who weren't, wasn't the right person for this course or the program? Was it my copy that made them think that they were the right person? 
when they weren't? Was it the fact that I was like, yeah, that's fine. Just just hit the buy button, just come in. You've got to start, you know, almost looking at a root cause analysis and then preventing that from happening in the in the future, because it's not fair on you and it's not fair on your student either. That's a really wise perspective to take, especially, you know, we're all business owners here and this conversation, I wish we would have like five hours to talk. This conversation around profit is not one that I hear hardly at all in the online coaching expert space. Everyone talks about revenue and Mm -hmm. that's an, that's important. That's a very important number. There's just so much around revenue and sales and hitting your, your launch goals and hitting your enrollment goals. Yeah. And I do think, you know, the story I was telling about the person who I just partnered with to create a program, we spent about an hour, an hour to an hour and a half of our time just talking about numbers, but -hmm. specifically talking about profit. Mm -hmm. And, you know, you and I both really do get to see the inner workings of people's courses and group programs. And I would say the thing that slows them down the most is this conversation we're having around making sure the right person is coming in because, you know, it's important to also remind ourselves that when we're working with people in groups and courses, it's not customized, which means Mm -hmm. they're not getting private attention yet without fail, most course and program leaders end up getting pulled into giving certain members private attention. And when I go in and I do an analysis of which ones are you spending your private time with, which ones are asking you for that extra time, when we just sort of like peel back all the layers and really excavate why that's happening, we find out that that person really wasn't the most qualified to be in the program to begin with. And it's not always that the person is like, oh, we'll just make the sale and get them in. Sometimes it's just maybe they didn't ask enough questions to find out if the person was really qualified, or maybe they just really felt compelled to let them in because they could see their potential. But, you know, I'm really glad we're having this conversation and airing it because it is so important to distinguish between who truly is my most qualified client, because you're absolutely right, Verity. It has a massive impact on your time i.e. your profit. I, that's just so brilliant to be paying attention to. I just think it's a, it, it's an aspect that I think as business owners, we don't always consider. And I mean, in my business, for example, I've got plans. My business coach laughs at me all the time. Bless her. She's, she's so patient with me because I've just got lists and I'm always shooting her over stuff and like, you know, more lists, more lists, more lists. But it's because on one of my lists, I know that in the next six to 12 months, this is how I want my business to expand, right? Well, how am I going to get there? Well, I need profit because if I don't have profits, where's the money coming from to put back in to achieve those goals? And I think that's sometimes where people get caught up because they're not, they're like, well, I'm getting this money in, but how am I going? You know, I can't, I can't scale. I can't grow. And you're like, because you're getting money in and it's covering your costs. That's not the, that's not the same. But as you said, I think we could talk for about five hours on on that. That's a whole other conversation. Yeah. Yeah. So what projects are you working on right now? I would love for you to share, you know, what programs do you have for offer? What project are you really working on? Uh, I know you're helping people create courses. So tell us a little bit more about that and how we can get in touch with you. Yeah, thanks. So at the moment, I've been working one-to-one with clients. What I've got opening up in September 
of 22 is the first iteration of my course creator mastermind, which I'm really, really excited about. It is a program, not a course, going back to that definition, Um, 12 week program to really help people learn how to teach online. So we dig into all the goodness that, well, everything that we've been talking about, basically, of, you know, nailing down your student, getting your curriculum um, created, your learning outcomes. It's teaching you how to teach and come up with a program that you're really proud of and that actually sells and works. So I'm really excited for that. The doors are open at the moment because it's only open through, it's only going to be open three times a year. Um, I also offer a couple of different types of coaching. I do one-to-one coaching, which is like over Zoom or what um, Zoom, Google Teams, however we want to work it. Um, and that's weekly. I also do boxer coaching because I realize that a lot of people that I work with, if we go back to Sarah, it's difficult to work around maybe the baby or your business or whatever. So my boxer coaching that I offer is you can contact me pretty much any time work hours on um on Voxer but if you want any more information about any of that then it's just veritysongon.com everything's on there i've also got a podcast which you've been on which well you will have been on it by the time this episode comes out which is really really exciting it was great to it was great to have you on and um it's bloggers creating courses and we just dissect everything that we can think of behind the scenes to do with creating an online course and then an online program. Awesome. I love it. All that is in the show notes below. So you can go check out Verity's uh, website and I'm sure you're on social media. People can go check you out there. And if you are in the business of becoming a course creator, Verity is your girl. Awesome. Awesome. Verity. Thank you so much for the convo. I'm excited. Thank you so much for having me. Thank you so much for tuning into the Built to Last show. If you're loving the show and have gotten any value out of it for your business and life, would you mind doing two things? Subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode and leave us a review. Our listener reviews helps us get more visibility and reach more people just like you. Help us make a difference for more entrepreneurs by helping them grow their businesses in a way that aligns with their life, family, and core values. Thank you so much for being part of our community and tuning into the show each week.